What is up? How are we doing this morning? Good, I love that. All right. I'm super appreciative for the warm welcome from Pastor Wayne, because if not, I'm sure most of y'all would be like, who is this random guy on stage right now? Well, nice to meet you. I am Brandon Shiley, and like he said, I just graduated from Anderson this past spring, been serving on the student team here for the past three years, and now are Five Forks and Malden campuses for the last year. But I'm just so stoked to be with you this morning. Um, for the new guy, I'm looking around, and I'm like, man, this is a lot of people, but I am pumped. And you would just think that, like, I'm the 22-year-old, I'm the new guy. You would think Pastor Wayne, our lovely staff, would just throw me a, a softball. You know, you're thinking, like, John 3.16. You're thinking something in the New Testament, at least. And then I figure out that we are smack in the middle of our Exodus series, and I am preaching on plagues one through nine. <laughs> yeah, so all I gotta say is buckle up. This could be going anywhere. Uh, I'm just kidding about that part. I just wanna see if Pastor Wayne would stress out over that comment. Um, but I really do believe that God has something for us this morning. Uh, man, he's just been dealing with my heart as I've been working through the text and so we're just going to pick up where we left off in the Exodus series. Just to give you an overview, we've been answering some pretty essential questions of the faith. Questions like, who is God? Why can I trust him? Like, why does he call people like me? And so many other essential questions. But this morning, the question I want us to answer is this. Why does God work the way he does? Why does God work the way he does? So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 9. Um, we're going to be flipping around a bunch today. But before I even read the text, I think we should just make one thing clear. You and I need to go ahead and remove any presupposition we have about who God is. And why I say that before, like specifically this morning, as even as I was reading through the text, I was thinking like, God, why didn't you do it this way? Or shouldn't you have done it like this? It made everything way easier. But what you and I need to understand is that our opinions on who we think God should be doesn't matter. Those opinions are actually more harmful than good. And so let's just make the commitment right now before we hop into the text that we are going to believe God as he reveals himself to be. So picking up from where we left off last week, um, we were in Exodus chapter seven last week and Moses and Aaron are called by God to go before Pharaoh and to do these signs. And the first sign we see is that a staff is turned into a snake. Pharaoh still does not believe that that is God working and it says his heart is hardened. So this is where we see God take over and start to prove himself he is the one true God through the plagues. And so just to give us a quick summary of plagues one through nine. Plague number one, again, God tells Moses to command to Pharaoh, let my people go. He refuses, so the first thing we see is water into blood. Like all the water from like the Nile River to even the very vessels of the trees, like all the water into blood. The second plague we see is frogs. 
And it says these frogs were everywhere, like made its way into the houses. And we read this verse right here in Exodus 8, 14. This is just so funny to me. After the plague, it says, they gathered them together in heaps and the land stank. And like, I'm just gonna tell you right now, first of all, if I'm Pharaoh, I'm tapping out right here. Like I don't get through three of the 10, mainly because I hate bad smells. And like, if Moses felt the need to say it stank, like it stank, like it was bad news. But Pharaoh, his heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. And so plague number three, we see gnats covering everything. Plague four, we see God send flies. But in plague number four, something different happens. The first three plagues affected everyone, the Israelites and the Egyptians. But at this point in the story, God separates his people from the Egyptians. So this only affects them. Plague number five, we see the livestock, all the Egyptians' cattle die. Plague six, boils covering all the Egyptians. Plague seven, hail, enough that like every tree that was still standing is now on the ground. Plague eight, locusts, enough to cover everything, to eat everything that was on the ground. And then lastly, we see darkness. Darkness where like you couldn't see the person standing five feet away from you. And this darkness was symbolizing the death to come. And so we see all this, we see God acting in some crazy ways. And if you're like me, you ask the question, God, why are you working this way? Why are you accomplishing your plan in this way? And the first thing I want us to see is he's doing this first to accomplish his purpose, to accomplish his purpose. And I love it when the Bible makes everything really simple. Like Moses just flat out says, this is the purpose. So again, if you have your Bibles and you're open to Exodus chapter nine, verses 13 through 16, I'm gonna start reading there. This is the seventh plague. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time, I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that, they, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now, I could have put out of my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you could have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. So we see here, God has a plan that is so much bigger than you and I could have ever imagined. Like more than him just like wiping out the Egyptians. Like it says actually in these verses, he could have done that with just one word, with just one swift act. He's doing something more. He's also doing something more than even saving his people. Like God, he cares about that, that matters to him. But still, God's overall purpose is more than that. We see in verse 16, it says that his name might be declared throughout all the earth. His overall goal is to make himself big, to glorify himself, to magnify his name. And that is what he's doing in this story. But he's not just doing it for these Israelites, these Egyptians in this context. Like God is trying to do something here that generations down the line, they can look back and see 
this is the one true God who is worthy of my trust. In Exodus chapter 10, verses one through two, it'll be on the screen, it says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them that you may know that I am the Lord. So what God is doing here, first of all, this is the greatest act of deliverance that you will read in the Old Testament. And again, God is doing something so big here that generations down the line, I can look back and know that God is in control because of how he delivered his people in the Exodus. But if you're like me, I read this story and I'm like, God, was it worth it? I mean, all these plagues, maybe all the pain that the Egyptians went through, like you even hardened Pharaoh's heart, was that worth it? Is that who you are, Jesus? And what we see here, we need to read a little bit outside the story to know that, hey, even in that confusion, we can still trust in God because in this story, he's actually worried about the heart of the Egyptians as well. I think this is so cool. He wants their worship as well in this story. In Exodus 14, 18, it says, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Like even in the pain, even in the plagues, even in the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, God is still working out something for their good. And I think for us this morning, in our confusion, when everything doesn't make sense, when it honestly seems unfair, hopefully you and I can still trust in the heart of Jesus, even when we can't see the bigger picture going on around us. But like this story, what does that have to do with me several thousand years later? Like God doing this stuff in the Exodus, cool. But why does this matter to me? And I really do believe that what God is doing here on the grand scale, God is trying to do in your heart personally. And what I mean by that is he wants to be made big in your life. He doesn't wanna be that silent foundation, that little thing you push off to the corner that you sometimes give credit to when things are going good, but that's the extent. God is wanting to do something so big. He wants to be at the forefront of your life so that when people see you and the way you carry yourself, they see Jesus. That's what he's trying to do here in your life. And that's what he's doing in the story of Exodus. So why does God work this way? First of all, he wants to accomplish his purpose. But secondly, we see he wants to prove his supremacy. He wants to prove his supremacy. And now when I think about people trying to prove who the boss really is, I go back to all the high school sports I ever played. And if you can put yourself back in these shoes, you know one thing is for sure. The seniors are trying to prove that they are running the show. And more specifically, they want to make the freshmen feel like the scum of the earth. Like they want you to be scared every time you come in the locker room. And so for me in my high school experience, what that looked like was different sorts of initiations. And like, praise the Lord, I never got it that bad, but definitely my little brother playing on the soccer team, he got it worse than I ever did. 
they made it very clear, if you want to play on this team, you are getting your head shaved. And, like, this is not the type of buzz cut that, like, you pay $15 for. Like, you would have thought my brother's head got stuck under a lawnmower for 15 seconds. Like, this was not good. And he's here right now, so I respect that he cares less about his hair than I do, because I'd have been a train wreck. But what we see is that those seniors did not care. Like, honestly, Ryan was in a wedding the next weekend, and they were like, sorry, ink. Like, it did not matter. They were going to prove who the boss really was. And they wanted to show that the freshmen were inferior. I say all that not trying to say that God should have added bus cuts as the 11th plague, which could have been funny, but that's not what I'm trying to say. What I am trying to say, though, is that God here throughout all of this is proving who the boss is. He's proving that he is supreme. Like if you read all the plagues, every one of them says this, by this you shall know that I am God. And so the entire purpose, to set himself apart, to show that he's God. And what I find so interesting is that in the first two plagues, in the water into blood, and then in the frogs, Pharaoh's magicians were actually able to imitate these to a certain degree. Like through deception, they could do almost what God was doing. But in plague number three, God completely separates himself. If you turn back a page to Exodus chapter eight, verses 16 through 19. It says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth, so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his staff, or his hand with his staff, and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So again, God starts to do something here in the story that no one can imitate. And the magicians, they pick up. They're saying, okay, I think this is the work of the one true God. Like this is his fingertip actually doing what we see. But Pharaoh, he doesn't see it. His heart is still blinded. His heart is still hardened by what is going on. And what I really do believe is that the root of that is that Pharaoh was sitting on the throne of his own life. He wanted control. So he sat on his throne And honestly, if anyone could have believed at this time they could sit on the throne, it was Pharaoh. Like think about the setting he was in. Man, he was the supreme ruler over the largest empire in the known world. He had power, he had wealth, he had an army at his fingertips. Like if anyone really had it, if anyone was really secure in their spot, it was Pharaoh. And what we see in this story is that even the most powerful man in all the earth is still an ant in the sight of God. Like even you, with your wealth, with your possessions, with everything you have, man, it actually amounts to nothing in the presence of the God of Israel. And so you start to think, man, Pharaoh, I think he might get it. I think he might wake up and see what's going on. He actually says a few times, falsely that he's repenting. Look at Exodus 9, 27. 
It says, then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, this time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. But just when we think that Pharaoh may be starting to get it, God sees right through his false confession, right through his false repentance, and he looks into Pharaoh's heart and he's still sitting on the throne of his own heart. And it finally comes to this question. In Exodus 10, verse four, God asks Pharaoh, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Very simple question. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? And I really do believe for us sitting here this morning, God is asking us the very same question. Like how long are you going to wait until you see that my way really is better? Like sin is so blinding. A hardened heart is so dangerous. Because in this story, I read it and I think, Pharaoh, how are you not seeing the signs around you? Like even the magicians are like, Yo, Pharaoh, our land is ruined. Everything is destroyed. Can you wake up and see what is going on? But in his sin, in his heart and heart, he can't. He's blinded to its consequences. And we read this story. We see so many other stories in scripture and somehow we convince ourselves that it's still better to sit on the throne of our own life. Man, we are so blinded by the consequences of our sin. We're so blinded that our sin, our choices actually has consequences on those around us. Like don't convince yourself that, hey, it's your life, you can do what you want to with it and it really doesn't affect anyone else around you. That is a lie. And not even just taking a step beyond your actions. We see here in the story that the condition of your heart affects those around you. A hardened heart is dangerous for those around you. And you may say, you know what, it really doesn't matter. Like, I don't really have that circle of influence. Like, yes, you may not be Pharaoh ruling over Egypt, but you are a parent ruling over a household. Like, you are a teacher sitting in that classroom. Students, you are a student who has teammates and classmates, and your influence matters. Don't convince yourself that your choices don't have an effect on other people. Don't convince yourself that your heart doesn't have an effect on other people because it does. This is such a serious thing that the author of Hebrews brings back up this instance in the Exodus and talks about the dangers of a hardened heart. In Hebrews chapter three, verses seven through nine, it says this. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Man, there's so much to see here, but what I see here up front and close is that you and I are not above having a hardened heart. Like I can still fall into that trap and you can still fall into that trap. 
And it's so dangerous that even the author here is like, you should encourage everyone around you daily because that's how easy it is to become apathetic, to stop hearing the voice of God. We're not above that. But I love what it says in verse number seven and eight. It says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden his heart. Don't harden your heart. And some scholars believe what he's asking, what he's really saying is, if only you'd hear his voice. And I read this story and I'm wondering what would be different if only Pharaoh would have listened. For us today, what would, be, what would be different if we just listened to what he's already told us? Man, if only we would just see him as supreme. If only we would just bow the knee and put him on the throne of our lives over ourselves. What would be different? So we see here, first, he wants to accomplish his purpose. Secondly, he wants to prove his supremacy. But lastly, we see he wants to show his provision. God wants to show his provision through the plagues. And again, this was a lesson I learned very early on as a kid is that I cannot provide for myself. Like there was not a meal in front of me as a kid that Brandon worked for at all. But there came a day where I forgot that fact. And so I get really, really picky and eventually just start playing sick every time I don't want to eat something. And honestly, like I was really good at it. Like I deserve some sort of award if that's a thing for that type of acting. I don't know. However, as good as I was, I definitely wasn't smart. And what I mean by that is there came a time when my parents realized, man, this is like the fourth lima bean night in a row where Brennan's thrown up everywhere. Like what is going on here? And what they did is that they said, you know what? You don't have to eat it now, but Brandon, this will be your next meal. And I was like, no shot, like no way. As seven-year-old Brandon, I'm calling that bluff right here, right now. And so they wrap them up, put it in the fridge. And then two hours later, I come back for dessert. I come back for the Cheez-Its, obviously. And then they say, whoa, 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 what you doing? Boom, cold lima beans right in front of me. And I'm like, all right, I feel like maybe I can sleep off this hunger. I don't know, go to sleep. Next morning, wake up. And I have loving parents. They love me so much. Surely they wouldn't put me through this. Again, for breakfast, what I have, cold lima beans. And I am helpless. I am hungry. Seven-year-old Brandon is like, this is what Jesus must have felt like fasting in the desert for 40 days. Like this is as bad as it gets right here. And so what do I do? I eat them because I realized I could not provide for myself. They proved very quickly they were my provider. And from the very beginning of the plagues, man, God is doing the same thing. Plague number one, what does he go for? He goes for the Nile. Man, their source of life. Like that was their food, that was their water, that was their transportation, that was everything. You may wonder, why does God go for that like off the bat? I really do believe this, that God wants to, through the first plague, prove that the things that you and I can trust the most in life, we really can't, that they really aren't that secure. So I feel like that's what God's doing here. He's upending all of Egypt. They trusted in the Nile as a God. They worshiped it. And even just really practically, like you feel like you can wake up in the morning and feel like the same river is gonna be there when it was there the night before, but it was gone. 
every bit of security gone. God is challenging Pharaoh face to face when he sits on the throne of his own life. And have you and I, have we not kind of seen this probably the most as we ever have the last few years? Like the one word that changed everything, COVID. Like you and I thought we had economic security, not really. Like you and I thought we could trust in like the simple things, like going to work, dropping off our kids at school, things like that. Nope. Man, this was like the most wide scale catastrophe we will ever see. Like when you and I are driving 30 minutes out of our way to go to a Dollar General and they still don't have toilet paper, like we are down bad, bad, bad as a country. Like, was this not the wake-up call that we needed? That the most secure country in all the world is not above this. Even we aren't that secure. And maybe that's just the season of life that you're in personally. Like, you feel like God is upending your world right now. Like, everything's upside down. I mean, the job you thought you could trust has disappeared out of nowhere. That family member man, maybe they just died unexpectedly. Maybe the person you thought you could trust the most in your life has abandoned you. Maybe you trusted yourself when you shouldn't have, and now you were just in such a helpless situation. Maybe you're just filling your heart with thing after thing or habit after habit, and you're finally starting to realize that sin will always promise what it can't deliver. Maybe even like what hurts more is that sometimes people can't deliver on their promises. Man, God could be upending your entire world right now. And I think an even better way to put it is this. God in his kindness could be upending your entire world right now. And why I say in his kindness, because I really do believe that in all this upending, in him turning Egypt upside down on his head, Again, he's after their worship. He's after their heart. And the same thing for you. He wants everything. Like he wants your undivided trust. He wants you to trust in him as provider. In his kindness, that's what he could be doing. I love this verse in Proverbs 18, verses 10 through 12. It says this, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth, however, is his strong city and like a high wall of imagination. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility becomes before honor. So what do we see? We see see here two different guys. One man, he sees the Lord as a strong tower, the righteous man, and drops everything and runs to him. And when he runs to him, when he drops everything and runs to this tower, he finds real safety. In the Lord, he finds real security. However, there's something on the flip side. There's a man who in his own wealth, man, in his own riches, he builds up his own tower. He builds up his own walls. And how the Bible describes it is that this was just his imagination. Man, he has built for himself the illusion of safety, the illusion of security. But luckily, the author here, man, he fills us in on the outcome. The outcome is always destruction. Man, if there's 
anything I'd want us to see here this morning, it's that the only thing that can provide us security is a savior. The only thing that provides and always follows through, that can always provide us security is a savior. And I just need to be humble enough to admit that, to drop everything and run to him as my strong tower. Because remember, again, God wants to work out his purpose in your life. He wants to be made big and known at the forefront. He wants to be on the throne. He wants to actually have control over everything. And like even in the confusion you could be feeling right now that we've all felt in seasons, we can trust that he's upending your life because he loves you, because he wants your affection. And so we see all this getting back to the plagues. It just seems like God was acting in some really bizarre ways. And if I'm them, I want the answer. Maybe you right now in your life, you want the answer and you feel like it's fair to get an answer. Like, God, why is my family look like this right now? God, why did I lose that loved one out of nowhere? God, why did I lose that job that I really did use to provide for my family? You may feel like you deserve an answer. But more than the answer to the question of God, why do you work out your plan this way? The better question we need to ask ourselves is this, God, how can I make sure you accomplish your plan in me? God, how can I make sure that with all the stuff going on around me, God, how can I make sure your will is being done in my life? How can I have that today? And again, I don't wanna leave here this morning without extending the offer of security that the Savior has for us. The story, the entire story of Exodus, man, it's the second greatest act of deliverance in all the Bible. Only in front of it is the fact that Jesus died on the cross for my sin and your sins. That he came down to deliver us out of the pit that we could have never gotten ourselves out of. That's the greatest act of deliverance. And this is what he wants to do for you. And so if you look back on your life, you're like, man, I've never actually dropped everything and ran to that strong tower that is Jesus. I've never made him Lord. Man, I just encourage you to do that this morning. But man, maybe there's some of you that you can look back. Man, you can see that moment in your life where you really did trust him. You put your faith and trust in Jesus. But right now, in this season, in this circumstance, in the upending of your life, you know he doesn't have your trust. Like you really aren't believing that he's going to provide, that he's gonna provide that way of escape. Man, if that's you this morning, man, maybe you just need to do business with God. Spend this next time, this next song, come down to the altar, just hand some things over to God this morning. Trust in him as provider. I just think back to the question, man, how long will you wait? Man, if only you would just hear his voice, if only you would respond. Man, there's real security to be offered in a savior. I'm gonna pray for us this morning. God, we love you. And we just thank you for who you are. God, I thank you for just the great acts of deliverance, Jesus. God, I'm praying for the person this morning who has never put their faith and trust in you, that this morning, 
they would find freedom, they would find life, they would find security in you. And then for the person who just needs to get some things right, who just needs to trust you in that situation to put you as supreme over that area of their life. And I'm praying that we would start handing stuff to you this morning, trusting you as our provider. God, have your way in us. Holy Spirit, meet us here this next song. We love you and we ask this in your son, Jesus Christ's name.